Welcome to part two of our fascinating conversation with Dr. Fred Moss, the undoctor, the non-diagnosing psychiatrist. Like eating a lemon is still a lemon, you know? Yeah. Well, I often tell people that saying I don't know is a perfectly acceptable answer. Uh, Indeed. I don't know is especially the only time it's really acceptable is if you don't know. And that's correct. You know, if but if you don't know, it's actually the only acceptable answer. That's right. All other answers, if you don't know and you actually answer a question that doesn't include the words I don't know, then aren't isn't that just a lie? Well, there's a couple of ways, a couple of nuances of I don't know you, but you can Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's as, true. You don't need those three words exactly. You can That's use right. it as dismissive saying, well, I don't know. Uh, yeah. or I don't care. Uh, yeah, then, yeah, yeah. You could do that. Yeah. It isn't really just a, it's an, it's a notion of passing along. If someone asks you a question, and you really don't know the answer. The right answer is, I don't know. And at one way or another, you have to let that person know that what's coming out of your mouth is not coming from, um, knowing it's coming from guessing along with you. Well, we often try to help people develop what we would call a beginner's mind, a mind of curiosity. And it usually starts off with, I don't know, but I'm willing to listen. I'm willing to explore possibilities. So when I deal with people, Dr. Fred, I offer them possibilities, not certainties. I love that. You know, it's really good. It's, uh, there's so many possibilities and all the crossroads of life. You know, we have essentially uh, a million or a billion or infinite amount of possibilities any given second about how we could respond, what we could say, what we could do. Um, and we get to choose from those each and every second anew. Uh, no matter where the past was, no matter what the what the past created for us, I suppose there is such thing as habits or, uh, you know, n- um, like uh, um, neural pathways. But the real the real truth here is that on any given second, there's an opportunity to reach for another way to say or do things than you were going to do uh, uh, by default. Yes. Uh, quite often what I tell people is I'm not arrogant enough to believe that I know how you think and feel. And I love that because you really, you know, I don't know, you know, I suppose that is arrogance, but it's, it's also just simply untrue. You know, I mean, you don't. And you know, the thing that's really great is that when we share authentically with each other, there is this sort of this notion of a connection or a resonance that um, somehow, you know, we, we, sh- we get the experience of unification where if I listen to you carefully and you say what it is you needed to say, and I hear you loud and clear, uh, and then can show you that I hear you by either resp- responding effectively or by recreating what you said in such a way that you know that it landed over here, there's a level of healing that takes place right at that second of being connected with another person that's kind of um, indescribable. And certainly beats the toast out of any um, any psychiatric medicine. There's never there's never been a medicine that creates that. You know, it's at the central treatise of the whole thing here um, is more than anything for sure. People just want to be heard, and uh, because with heard comes the possibility of being loved and then loving. Um, and you know, if you're not heard for who you truly are, then you will. Then no one will. You know no one will ever know you. Um, And that's the key. When I was reviewing your Creative Eight uh, paper, that's very wonderful. There's a, and again, I use a lot of 12-step terms, Dr. Fred. Uh, In the 12-step world, we say you can't think your way into acting right. You have to act your way into thinking right. 
And mm -hmm. I, when I read the Creative Eight, I caught I caught that message. Yeah. So the Creative Eight is a fun book that I wrote a few years ago. Uh, it's a it's a way of really looking at. Uh, you know, what can you do when you're having a negative experience, when you are uncomfortable, when it's like, dude, I, I don't know if this is sick or not, but I don't like it. And I want to have a different way of looking at the world. And what I have found is that while we are creating like this is so, you know, while we're in the process of creating negative vibrational experiences, either get expressed away or simply dissipate and disappear. So things like um, art or music or dancing or singing or drama, cooking, writing, gardening, those are the top eight. All of those things, if you're doing those things, you know, you're, you're, um, you're while in the act of doing those things, you, uh, you disappear. Uh, your, your negative experiences disappear. Yes. I added a couple others, you know, which was cleaning and photography. Uh, I have, there's a couple others that are vying for to become top 10 but um those two are there and finally i have it you know that i th i'll do a little spoiler for those who wanted to um uh down download my book it's really about um helping anybody do anything is sort of the the trump card the one that you can use when all else fails which all else won't fail but you you know it's like a go-to it's an easy go-to which is Really, go help anybody do anything. And I think if you look at what's going on behind the doors in those twelve room, twelve step rooms, that's I think everyone knows that, that the heart of the heart of the uh, twelve step program is service. And there's a reason for that because when you're in service, all things, all negative experiences disappear. Well, yes, in the twelve step world, it says our purpose is to fit ourselves to be of maximum services, service to the creator and to our fellows. Uh, one of the things that I like most about in the creative eight when you talked about inviting joy into your life. Yeah. So that's really a, really something that, um, when you free yourself of being a slave or a leaf in the river to the negative vibrational experiences, it gives you a moment in time where you can actually choose which context you can now see the world from, and you can even feel it. It's like, you know, some of us sort of, for whatever reason, habitually choose to go right back to feeling depressed or scared or anxious and uh, nervous or aimless or somehow unoptimal. But I really, really see that at that moment, calling in joy and really getting that joy is a very real possible way to look at all, uh, all things. Have you ever noticed that sometimes you go from feeling sad to feeling joy without any of the data in the world shifting even for a second? <laughs> Like that's that's that suggests that it's a mindset and what access we have to altering our mindset. It seems like it's some like it, there is a piece there that this hovering self can create a new context and seeking joy, um, even in even in the profane, right? Seeking joy even in the pain at times uh, seems like a way to to call on all the best resources to deal with life. Well, uh, one of the first tattoos I got, uh, Dr. Fred, was the words I choose because I consider them the most powerful words that a human has in their vocabulary. Hmm. Well, I love that. You know, we don't we don't get to choose, you know, uh, we don't get to choose everything. Right. And the serenity prayer says that best. You know, the God grant me the serenity to accept the things I can't change, the courage to change the things that I can and the wisdom to know the difference. Right. Yes. And and. 
there's something about really getting that in the the second phrase there the uh the wisdom to uh uh change the things that I, or the courage to change the things that I can yes we get an opportunity to really look at those things and choose uh choose to make a difference in those areas that are affecting us negatively dr fred i find out when people one of the tattoos i have is abracadabra and some mm-hmm. of the people uh believe that uh, sometimes ask me if i'm a magician but uh, i tell them that it's aramaic and it comes from the bible's jesus time and roughly what it says is i create what i speak i speak what i create mm-hmm. so when i tell them that we're going to change the script in their head and connect with their authentic self i said that that's where the magic comes in yeah it's beautiful i have uh i'm fully aligned with that you have an opportunity to really show people that the way they're thinking even if it's leading down dead ends or uh painful um you know painful brick walls is a uh is alterable it's transformable and it's usually done in conversation after authentic listening has created some degree of um resonance some degree of uh being connected uh authentically and when that happens that's when the magic of to me that's what i've seen as being the most mm, power-packed octane uh high octane second of healing comes when another person feels hurt so naturally you understand that you're an anomaly among psychiatrists because both mm. of them most of them say how you feeling is that medications working okay i'll see you in three months mm-hmm. uh so how did that fit with the rest of your colleagues when you would actually listen to people and under- mm-hmm. help them understand they're important doctor first of all it, it, do you get the absurdity of the question and and mm-hmm. I, I it's not the first time i've asked it i mean i'm not making calling you absurd by any level i've been asked that question um yeah a few hundred times sure. and um this is another it, one yeah it's great it's like it's such an interesting question because i first of all i have no idea how my colleagues look at me about this i don't you know i'm not them and 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 it's not, in some sense it's like they might say they might say oh no we listen to them and then we choose the medicine that they need you know based on what they say um so if they say I have racing thoughts, we give them a mood stabilizer. If they say that I've been depressed for most of the last two weeks, then we give them antidepressant. And if they say that they're feeling kind of nervous because their mother-in-law is coming tomorrow, <laughs> then uh, we give them an anti-anxiety agent. And uh, that's so that's called listening, you know, in in most psychiatrists' world. But actually getting down to business with what's really so, as if it's like eye to eye. Uh, no power gradient, listening to someone and and joining them in their, you know, empathically joining them in their human experience. That's a skill set. And it sort of gets beaten out of us over time, not just doctors and psychiatrists, but other adult human beings as well. And we start just declaring judgment and assessing and doing all those things instead of actually listening to someone for what they're saying, especially if they're saying something that's not in agreement with what we think we know. Um, have you ever noticed that sometimes uh, that person will say something and you'll just dismiss them and maybe even dismiss everything else they say? Like they were doing good and then they said something that you disagree with that you can't believe they said. And then from then on, everything they say about everything is suspect. Well, I've always we're, we're told, amazing. I've always told people that but is one of the most disrespectful words in the English language. When you somebody says something to you and you say yes, but that means that you have just disavowed everything that they said mm-hmm. and now mm-hmm. listen to me. So could you say a little bit more about authentic listening? 
Yeah, this butt word is a it's not a it's not a small word. It has massive implications. Yes. So authentic listening, when you can listen to someone with some sort of idea of you would have said and done exactly what they would have said and done if you were them. Um there's a capacity to just be in marvel, you know, just be in wonder, just be in curiosity. And take what this other person is saying as very, very, very valuable data, to say the very least, no matter what it is, even if it's like, even if the dude is just dead wrong, like, even if they're, especially if they're dead wrong, you know, like, I know, like, for me, and for a number of people I've talked to that when someone's dead wrong, like, you know, there's this stuff I can be like, oh, yeah, I can agree to disagree with you. Or, oh, yeah, you feel that way. Uh, but you know, that's only because you're not informed yet. Or, uh, yeah, yeah, I, I can agree. I'll still smile with, you know, with a smile of appreciation when you say something I know is complete bullshit. Like, there's that. And then there's the other stuff. And the other stuff is actually more dangerous. The other stuff is about the stuff that we know that we know. You know, we really do know. Uh, you know, I mean, we, you know, you know, you can't go through 64 years of life without knowing that. I mean, we are, all the smart people know. Everyone who's ever lived a life of any any substance whatsoever, all anyone, any good person, anyways, already knows this. And then we hear someone say something different than this, and it's precisely then where we have the almost the reflexive uh, experience of just discounting everything that person says about anything from that day forward. Um. What authentic listening does is give us an opportunity to actually listen to that person with at least some respect and the allowance for them saying something that is so far away, uh, disagreeing with you uh, and nevertheless paying a proper attention to their human experience and being with them to the next thing that they say um, at the same level you would have been if they wouldn't have said that incredibly stupid thing. <laughs> Dr. Fred, a lot of times I think people come into therapy and they expect to be guided. Yeah, you had mentioned that, you know, this, this, they want to be told how to do, how to live life sometimes, you know, like, yes. what should I do, doctor? And, uh, you know, I guess sometimes if people are asking for assistance with what, what should I do, there, there may be a space for, uh, answering on a couple occasions, you know, if they really don't know, and you know, and there's something there, you could say something like, well, what I would do if I was in this situation is that. But I think that what people want is, is the, what I hear in your question is this back to this idea of there's something wrong with me, I'm, I'm incapable of making my proper decision. Yes. And uh, therefore, I need to lean on a professional to tell me what to do. Um, that's, that's a, a very unfortunate. Here's, a, here's where I think it's not unfortunate in the same situation, which would be, I have so many different things going on in my head that I have multiple ways of looking at this issue. And I'd like you to listen to me as I sort of put on the table the multiple ways I'm looking at what to do. And they're in conflict with each other. I can't do, if I do A, I can't do B. If I do B, then I can't do A. And uh, can you help me by just listening to me and tell me what you hear? And because what you hear is more important than what I think I say. And we start really looking at that. And then decisions to guide can, might be helpful in that context. Well, we talk about wise versus emotional mind choices. And quite often what I 
suggest to people is, you know, that we're going to find out what's important. Try mm-hmm. to find out what's important. I have a couple of basic concepts, Dr. Fred, that we're spiritual beings and we just happen to be having this human experience. And it's this human experience, this enmeshment in it that doodles our lives up. And then I say, life is absurd. And it is. We, we're, we try to figure it out. And yeah. usually I tell my patients when I meet them at first, I say, once we grasp all these three concepts, our work will be done. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, uh, you know, life is absurd. And uh, if you don't think that life's absurd, that's absurd. And, you know, and <laughs> like, it, it's unbelievable that someone could actually look at life and say, you know, period. You know, here's one of the things that's really absurd about it is that we actually think as I do almost every day, that I go through at least a moment where I think that I got this. Uh, yeah, I got life figured out. I got it by the tail. I'm good. I got. I finally figured out how to live this thing. I got high breather. Oh, finally, finally, I put some shit together and now I got it. And that's just as absurd as any other thing because <laughs> uh, as soon as we uh, land on that island, um, we're about to be capsized. Uh, we're about, you know, and uh, that's so. Uh, I, I, but I fall for that trick pretty much daily. Sure, it's like Socrates when he went to the Oracle at Delphi. And they said, what did it tell you? And it said, I was the wisest man in the world. And they says, well, wow, the wisest man in the world. What do you make of that? And he said, well, I, what, my conception of that is that I'm the only person in the world who truly understands their own ignorance. Yeah, that, that, I think there's something to that. You know, when you can really, when you can really get how absurd and ludicrous and, you know, inexplicable all of life has been and continues to be to this very moment because we're so addicted to reasoning and, and concluding. Um, you know, something taught to us in the conventional education model that I referenced earlier. So we think we're not right until we get to an answer. And uh, if wouldn't it be interesting if we could give up on the idea that there's an answer for everything? There is an answer for what, you know, what happens when you put two apples in a basket or something. There's an answer to that. But there's no answer to uh, nearly all of life's many conundrums and Cohen's everywhere. And so it's an opportunity to really get that there's no answer. There's not going to be an answer. And there's, and I have no answer to the question, like, you know, what's the answer. And, uh, when we can get that, you know, there is, there is an kind of an unexpected freedom that comes from that. Uh, I like, I like what you just said. The, that unexpected freedom, uh, Rumi, that, that Sufi mystical poet said, why do you stay in your jail cell when the door is open? Yeah, exactly. And you start looking at, you know, or the elephant with the chain, you know, uh, you train an elephant to stay where they are by yes. giving them a chain when they're growing up. And when you remove the chain, they'll never leave where they were anyways, even though there's no chain. Uh, there's there's an opportunity to step out of this box. There's an opportunity to bring your true voice. And there's an opportunity to bring your authentic message. And my suggestion is if that's interesting to you, the best way to do that is to listen. And you had already mentioned that, you know, when you listen, then you create a space for that person, the other person, you create that space of wonder, of, of, of curiosity, of marvel. And from there, uh, he or she can create a space of listening for you that might exceed anything that you could imagine so that you could start saying things uh, you've never said before that are more consistent with who you really are instead of continuing, as we all do, nothing wrong with it, continuing to pretend to be somebody else in order to protect the person you really are, which talk about absurdity, dude. (laughs) 
I love your term authentic uh, listening. I'm I'm going to take that from you, but I'll credit you with it. No problem. You don't have to credit me. It's all good. We will continue our fascinating conversation with Dr. Fred next week on our next episode of Fishing Without Bait. To find out more about Dr. Fred, please go to welcometohumanity.net. Dr. Fred has graciously offered our listeners his book for free at findyourtruevoicebook.com. And we will have links to more from Dr. Fred in the show notes. Please check out our website at fishingwithoutbait.com where you can listen to the show, comment on our discussions, and find out where you can subscribe to our podcast. If you're interested in flying the colors of Fishing Without Bait, click the shop icon on our website. We have clothing, mugs, cell phone cases, and so much more. Show the world that you fish without bait. This show is a member of the Sorgatron Media Podcast Network. Find out more at sorgatronmedia.com.